How's it going? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. <laughs> I tried a, a new homeopathic remedy for a cold that I had. Mm. And <laughs> I don't know if it made it. You know, it's tough to say. You use something I, like I, I that. I can tell you. Okay. Want me to save you a click? Yeah. Didn't work. It didn't. Nope. Well, I'm sorry. Let me tell me about the homeopathy. What, are you sure it was diluted enough? You want to make sure it doesn't actually have anything useful in it. I don't, yeah, I don't understand homeopathic stuff. I don't understand how that the philosophy behind it. It's a little confusing. I think the philosophy behind it is not difficult to understand. It's people want to believe in magic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I don't want to sound cranky. It's September. Um, but no, I, 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 you can never. I think you can almost never discount the placebo effect. And the effect of mindfulness. So the placebo effect is a thing. Like, go read any paper, right? Yeah. Not you, but the listener. Right. The placebo effect is real. Um, and that's that's a thing. And But there's also kind of the mindfulness aspect of it, where it doesn't matter what like wackadoodle diet you go on, as long as you're thinking about food more, you're probably going to eat better. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I definitely think that it's... there. There's uh, The placebo effect seems to work more when... I think you are in, in, in an open-minded state and you don't know what you're, you're getting and you don't know what the results are. You know, I think like with my kids, as they've gotten older, the placebo effect has less, less of an effect on them. Like my little one, if I, it, when he was, uh, when she's, she still believes, you know, this will make your, this will make it stop hurting, sweetie. And you give them a little thing and then they feel better. My older son, who's seven he no longer believes that and and he's he rejects the homeopathic medicine and on, knows now only ibuprofen works yeah i guess i mean i don't know it's i i'm not a i'm not a scientist <laughs> but like I, I think there's i think there's a lot lot to both sides of it i mean on the one side of it and it really is it is comical to go and read the actual results from pharmaceutical products that are on the market um because, you know, on the one hand, there's the whole like, you know, is it, is it efficable for everybody all the time? No, not really. No. It, this may not really even work for you and we may not even know why. There's so many medicines that, that help something on like a physical level that we, we don't, or, or we don't even know exactly why. I mean, there are all kinds of conditions where we don't know where they come from or how they get better. But, you know, so on the one hand, like, I, I think, I don't know. I think it's really complicated. I, th I, I would not want to say to anybody like, you know... I don't know. Maybe I, I'm just under the influence of John Syracuse. I would, I would just be careful of, of anything that resembles magic too much. The other thing with kids is that for me, things that I, I would say that doesn't work with my kid anymore. Right. Well, it still works fine with other people. Huh. Like my child's teacher, especially her teacher this year, uh, is very, not demanding, but she has very high expectations as well as a high level of confidence. And so like my kid's working harder this year because I think her it's it's second grade and we have to get a little bit more serious about mm -hmm. things like spelling. She likes that challenge. And so where I thought, oh, you know, this kid's going to end up in juvie, like that teacher is, <laughs> uh, has found a way to inspire her. And, and so, you know, or for example, have you ever noticed this? Like my kid will try so many more foods if A, she's not at home and B, she's not with her mom or me. She'll, you'll get these reports back like, oh, you know, your daughter always wants to help clean up at the end of class. I'm like, are you sure that's my daughter? Like, she's never intentionally cleaned up anything. So, you know, it just it depends on the context, I think. Are your kids like that? Are they the same everywhere? They're pretty consistent as they, far they are, as They're eating. not on better behavior with grandma when they go somewhere? 
they're, I, I think they're on bad behavior with my wife and on good behavior with everyone else, including me. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. And I don't, I think because they see her as their primary person who's with them the most. And I think they're, she gets them when they're in all stages. And I, I think because they see me like after work and on the weekends and other people are like a special thing, then, uh, then, then it, it's like, it's not like they're on their best behavior, but like it's something new and different and we're going to do something fun. Whereas my wife's like, guys, you need to eat your lunch now or we can't do this, you know? So she gets kind of like the brunt of, Oh, she's, she's, got, she's the one who's always got to be the heavy. Yeah. You, you get to be Kool-Aid. Yeah. I get, yeah, I get to show up I'm like, Hey guys, look, I brought you some stuff. Let's go out and play. And you know, and I, hey. where do you want to go today? Let's go let's, to the comic store. Let's find a way to throw consistency out the window. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bath. Only mom makes you take baths. Right. I'm fun dad. Right. Just drink <laughs> some water. That's all you need to do. Don't worry about water. bathing. You can have a fourth milk. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it also, the, the flip side of that is that it, I can be the ultimate sort of reinforcement as well. If there needs to be like policy change, well, your, your dad said to do it this way. Oh, well, I guess if dad said to do it, then we got to do it. Right. <laughs> right. Because like I, I bring, you know, like like uh, and and you know and my little one she still is in that phase where like one week she she'll hate me and and love her mom the next week she'll hate her mom oh, and love me and hundred percent yeah yeah <laughs> and so like there is a it'll, while it'll change in an afternoon <laughs> I know it does uh, no I, I hate being on the, I I don't I don't like being the uh, the the not liked one in the house I don't like that feeling yeah no that's not good and uh, and she like the thing that she uh, does when when she's liking me it actually makes it a lot harder because like, Oh, I won't, I won't eat eggs for breakfast. I don't like eggs unless daddy makes them. And then uh, oh, I don't want, I don't want that drink unless daddy brings it to the table. If mommy brings it, I won't drink. It. Oh, what a horrible person. <laughs> you know, it's great. Oh, I love it. She's very, very cute though. So it makes, it makes it uh, different. But I remember when my boy went through that and it, it kind of, you know, it kind of evolved and, and went and then eventually just went away. And uh, and now he loves both parents, which is nice. Well, today. Yeah. yeah I, I um, you know, so much so much changes with the kid and certainly with with me. And I become a little bit more, a little bit less wide eyed about how the world works, you know, as she gets older. And, you know, whatever. It's exactly the kind of thing that older parents really love is, is seeing all the spirit taken out of a, a, a new parent. But the thing that I've always known is difficult and I've always known is important, I still think is difficult and I still think is important, is consistency. Because the only thing, if there's consistency and nothing else, and I say that, I say that again as somebody who struggles with it, but the, the problem is that like with consistency, you have to establish like what the schedule is, what the expectation is, and you just always do it no matter what. And I, it's, I find it so easy to break from that and go, oh, let's watch one more Parks and Rec. Oh, this is actually a two-parter. So mm-hmm. let's actually watch this two-part Parks and Rec. And, uh, and then, you know, pretty soon it's 745. And now I've blown the consistency thing and she has every right to, to, you know, to buck at that because I'm the one who broke the consistency. Right. It's just, it's, it's the one point, one of the rare points where you kind of wish that when one wishes one were an AI, like if I could just always consistently do the same smart thing in the right way and be like a, like a cron job 
for the family, like I would be much better suited for the job. It's just that sometimes I'm really tired or sometimes like I'm in a really good mood or sometimes I'm not in a really good mood. And that should have that my feeling about the, how the day is going should have as much impact on how things go as her reaction. So I'm very fine to bring down the hammer and go, well, just because you're a sad tomato doesn't mean you <laughs> get to skip taking a bath. Right. Well, I'm the consistent dad. Unless we decide we can just watch three hours of TV by fiat, you know. But, but Parks and Rec's a really good show. Wow, it's a good show. What a wonderful program. It, did it end recently? Yeah, it ended uh, this past TV season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, so... Yeah. I don't know. Homeopathics. I, I don't know. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. They definitely don't seem to be able to harm you because apparently you can, you can't overdose on them. If, I mean, how regulated are they though? The problem with most med, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I mean like the problem with most medicine is it's like, it's not what the active ingredient is. The active ingredient in homeopathy homeopathy is what probably three or four zeros of active ingredient. Like what else is in there and how regulated is that? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, it's a mystery. Hmm. But I, I, I took it a lot, and it, it seemed to be a very lightweight cold, and it didn't last a long time. And if that had anything to do with the homeopathic medicine, then cool. If it was me uh, just having a lighter cold, my immune system is strong. I don't know. Who knows what it was? But that was good. And I went into it thinking this will do absolutely nothing because it's homeopathic and they don't do anything and disbelieving it and thinking it wouldn't work. But I don't know. And that's fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me that you can, if, if you believe something will work, that maybe it will have a better chance of working. Just that notion is fascinating to me on so many levels. But I mean, how different is that from saying, well, I'm going to do a two-factor authentication for my illness. So I'm going to flip a coin. <laughs> I'm going to flip a coin. If it lands heads up right. and I see a white pickup truck in the next minute, <laughs> yeah. I won't get sick. Right. And then you don't get sick. Well, like what, what did that actually prove? You know what I mean? No, that's, and that's, that's the tough part. It doesn't prove anything. Right. Well, you know, there's a phrase I use a lot because uh, I think it's an important phrase. Is like to give oneself permission, to give yourself permission, to give yourself permission to like... Uh, get something accomplished today, to give yourself permission to feel good today, to give yourself permission to do whatever, which sounds really hippie and probably equally as sound as homeopathy, but I think that's an important concept because it requires first being aware that there's something you can do differently and then saying that that's going to be okay for you to do that. Like give yourself, like I think an important one, honestly, in terms of like self-esteem is like give yourself permission to not feel like a total tool today and go, hmm, I suddenly feel like less of a total tool. Like what actually changed in the world? Nothing except your brain and your outlook but like in that case, I wonder how much of that is giving yourself permission to not feel like you're getting sick because now you've stopped talking yourself into getting sick. You stopped noticing things that may or may not be there. And that might, who knows, that might actually help your immune system. We'd have to ask a scientist. Yeah. It's very, it's very interesting though. And I love, I love the, that there is this, the, the concept of power of suggestion and believing in something and, you know, the, People often talk, athletes especially, often talk about how important it is before a game that they're feeling positive about it, that they feel like they're, they're not only can win, but, but will win. And that attitude, you know, they talk about that so much. I love to watch like the behind the scenes sports and, and then when the coaches are like motivating the team in their many different styles of doing that, like 
they're they're getting these people excited, the athletes, the people who are going to perform on stage, whatever it is, and they go out there believing that they will win. And if they don't believe that, then they'll. It's almost like they can never win. I, I don't. I don't follow that stuff as much, but I find it interesting too. And like, I guess a phrase or a word you hear a lot is visualization, or what's the other like fancier term for that? For like. Uh, what do they call it? When Tiger Woods is thinking about sinking the putt, like what's that yeah, called? Yeah, no, I know. It's not creative visualization. It's something... But, uh, but apparently a lot of high-level athletes do that. It's right. a big part of their practice or, you know, in music you call it like your rehearsal. So, yeah, I mean, nobody would ever think poorly of somebody who practiced a lot. You know, and I, well, there's, I, I, I think there's a slight distinction between practice and rehearsal. Like practice could be running scales. Rehearsal is playing songs with the band as if you're in front of people, Right. Or practice right. is like, you know, you know, hitting a tackling dumb, dummy or doing drills and stuff like that. Practice is the kind of stuff that, that you do is the compulsory stuff that keeps you, you know, limber and fit and all that kind of stuff. And then rehearsal is doing it as though it's the real thing. And so, I mean, on the one hand, would you ever criticize uh, a pianist for practicing and learning more scales and getting better at technique? No. Right. Would you practice? Would you crack on them for rehearsing by, by playing Moonlight Sonata lots of times until they can play it without a mistake? No. Would you criticize them for like being able to like transpose it to a different key to learn it so well that it's not just rote physical movements, but you like actually kind of inhabit the song? No, you would never. That's That means you're really taking it seriously. You're maybe becoming like a professional. You're actually taking that really seriously. So why would you criticize somebody for being able to say, well, I'm going to visualize myself walking onto that stage and the first words out of my mouth during this talk, where I'm going to imagine that after I say this last, um, take a breath, say the last thing I have to say, and then thank you very much for coming today, and imagine people like applauding and you not sucking. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't, I don't think that's weird. I don't think that's homeopathy because what's the alternative? The alternative is the kind of like stupid thinking people like me do, going like, oh my god, catastrophizing. This is going to be the worst thing in the world, and I'll probably die on stage and just spontaneously come. <laughs> Bust. Right. That's the kind of rehearsal and practice that you will do unless you put something better in its place. So I think I think there's nothing wrong with that at all. I think that's good stuff. Yeah. What, I mean, I'm with I'm with you. I think there's something, you know, and I was reading because we were kind of brainstorming about, you know, doing doing Oh yeah, this goes to your topic. I didn't even realize it. Yeah, talking about practice as a as a topic because I, my my little girl who just turned four, my wife yesterday you know, we've been enjoying all of her art that she draws. And over the summer, her main thing has been drawing. She has, for whatever reason, drawing was it this summer. And, you know, she doesn't it, She doesn't need anything special. She'll just take that. There, there's a pencil sitting there. She has crayons, markers. It doesn't matter. She's just enjoying herself, uh, just drawing on, on paper. And, you know, I, I, of course, I'm her dad. So, like, I think everything she does is really good. But my wife the other day pulled out a... Uh, a paper and said like that she was drawing with some of her friends and, and here's what they're drawing. And, you know, look how much, because she's been drawing so much this summer. Look, like, look at her stuff. Not like look at these other kids. They suck, but more like since this has been her main activity, she spent so much time doing it. She's really improved. And she found something from like three or four months ago that she drawn, which was the sort of, you know, like, like you don't, there's different stages kids go through where the, it's just sort of more like a face with little sticks coming out of it. And that then eventually there's like a separate body and then you draw appendages and then there's, you know, but it was just from a few months ago, it was dramatic. Like you could barely tell she was drawing people at all. 
And then now, you know, it's very clear that not only are these people, but like you can you can sort of tell that, oh, this is this is the mommy and this is the daddy and that's the baby and the sky is blue and the, the ground is, is green. And it's it, she's gotten much more detailed. And I thought how amazing it is in such a short period of time through practice, you can improve on something. And that just start. I started to really think about the effect of practice on the things that that we do in our daily life, that we're practicing things. You know, when I was in college and I was like, I was a music major for a little while and I was learning to play guitar and it was classical guitar. And I was learning like the right way to do it as opposed to like, I bought an Epiphone Les Paul and taught myself Stairway to Heaven. I was actually reading music and I was playing the notes and I was sitting in the what, what's called the like classical guitar position where you have your left knee up and the, the little block under your foot so that it's raised the right way and you look like a minstrel playing, you know, and that was an, an amazing challenge to me. And I was practicing quite a lot and I became very, very skilled at the things that I was practicing, but I couldn't like just play chords and solo the way I wanted to, because I was learning how to like read music and sometimes sight read music, but I wasn't learning that creative aspect of like that I would have gotten if I was in a garage band with my friends, you know, that I, I could, the skills that I was developing, I mean, my, it, I was developing uh, chops and not licks, if you will. And it was not what I wanted to be doing, and yet I had built up this skill of my fingers could do pretty much anything on the neck of any guitar, you know. But it, I didn't learn the mental skills that I wanted to be learning to develop the kind of proficiency I want. And so that's made me think very carefully about the whole concept of what are what is it that we are practicing? Could we be practicing the wrong thing? Could we be reinforcing the wrong kind of the wrong kind of thing through practice that we think is is good? Which goes back, I think, to what you were saying at the top of the show and now to throw the Buddhist thing into it, you know, we're all in our life. We're all trying to find solutions for the problem, the great problem of life, which is that there's, there's a lot of suffering in life and we're trying to figure out ways to suffer less. And most of the ways that we come up with on our own are, as Buddhists would say, not very skillful. They're not skillful ways to, to stop suffering. And we develop all of these habits and rituals and, uh, practices that we then go to reinforce for the rest of our life sometimes, uh, unless we we get lucky and realize that we might be doing something the wrong way. So we're actually, every moment of our day, we're practicing these, in some cases, poor habits that we've developed. And uh, like, why does my desk get messy? Well, I put stuff on it. Why do I put stuff on it? You know, th this is something that I've just done. Well, why have I just done that? Well, I'm practicing the art of making my, de my desk a mess, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I just, that, that has been on my mind a lot. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, hmm, a lot of levels. Yeah. One, one thing that I, I think of is, uh, you, even if you're merely a power user on the computer, I mean, anytime two people get in a room, well, let's, let's go, go back to first principles. Like for most of us learning computer stuff, people like me anyway, um, I've learned computer stuff a lot the same way that somebody who buys an Epiphone Les Paul learns to play Stairway to Heaven, which is that you kind of you learn it on your own and you, you pick it up on your own and you may you certainly will learn new things, you will discover new things, you will rehearse your way into new skills uh, or new abilities. But also, you're I, I know, I've been mostly doing this on my own, and it's funny because you know so everybody ends up being a little bit of an autodidact when it comes to computer stuff, and you know so for example like 
you know, like you look at somebody's background or my God, never post your iPhone like home screen on the internet or you're going to get so much feedback from all these people who are like, can't believe you do it that way. Um, which is especially baffling to me, but that's, you know, that's, that's the thing people care about, but everybody does that differently because they've kind of arrived at their own idea of how to do it. Or they've maybe heard about it from somebody else, but, but the computer stuff you get, it seems like most of us get somebody who helps us get started. Like, and that could be like, in my case, like, okay, go to this computer in the lab or the, you know, the computer lab at school. Here's how you turn it on. Here's how you save a document. Mm -hmm. Here's how you format a disc. You know, with really a couple hours of training, you can get to where you could type a paper. And then somebody shows you like how to use the mouse to get to a menu. Like I, I, I realize there are people who take formal computer classes, but at the same time, think about somebody, maybe you think of the person at the front desk at your office who's been working on a PC for 25 years and still uses the mouse for everything. Right. But they're really good at using the mouse for everything. Probably not as efficient as using key commands, but the point is they got somewhat, I don't want to say stuck because that sounds condescending, but the point is like, I like using key commands for lots of stuff because it's faster for me. I, there's sometimes there's there's three or four different ways of doing almost anything on a Mac, and I tend my brain my brain kind of tends to switch automatically. It goes through that array and picks the one that's most efficient. But if if your main tool for that is a mouse, you're still going to use a mouse, and you just get fast at using a mouse. So I I, I don't know if that's an example of what you're talking about, but I think no, it it's exactly. I think it is exactly. I think it's exactly what. What I'm talking about, like yesterday I was, uh, or day before I was reading an article about Mavis Beacon and that there was no real ma- woman named Mavis Beacon, that she was uh, like a, like a, a, someone they found working in a store and they paid her some money to go and walk around outside and they took these great pictures of her and called her Mavis Beacon. And that was this, so for people who don't know what Mavis Beacon was, it was this uh, program that you would install on your computer and it would teach you how to type. Because yeah, right. Touch type. And I was a hunt and pecker until I, uh, until I learned, right? Hmm. Because when I was a kid, we could either take in, in, I guess this was junior high or high school, we could either take the typing class or they had this new class called computers. And I had been using computers since I was like 11 years old with the Apple II came out and I got it in camp and that whole story. So for me, like anything that, that was easy and that made it so I would have to do less work, I would do that. And why would I take a typing class, which sounds boring and hard? And I heard that the typewriters in the class had no uh, letters on their keys and that sounded hard. Or I could take a computer class and do like, you know, move the turtle around in logo or something. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll do that. And I never learned to type until I got to college. I had to write all these papers and I was hunting and pecking and it was taking for long, a long time to do it. And I thought, all right, well, I'll go get this Mavis Beacon thing. And I actually like used it and learned to type from it. And I hated the whole process. I hated the application. I hated that I was having to learn, like I was resentful of the fact that I had never learned this and I had to learn how to do it and that I wasn't very good at it for a while. Like it took me a long time to be able to touch type. And I, I didn't look forward to using the program. I didn't look forward to practicing that because for me, the reward was something that was somewhat intangible. So when you talk about practice, like usually you want you want that practice to translate into something. You want the why have I been practicing it? Well, I know that if I practice this thing, I will get this other thing. And I think at least for me, and I I imagine many other people are sort of goal oriented and 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 motivated by the prize 
at the end. And I couldn't really see one with typing other than, well, I won't have to hunt and pack. But man, when I was done, I could, I, and I still can touch type and I could do other things. I could talk to somebody while I was typing. I could read something in a book and type what I was reading and transcribe something. I just, I, and, and, you know, like no one had ever showed me this stuff. I just knew that the way I was doing it was bad and I had to find another way. There must be another way, you know? And I feel like that there's seeing that kind of light at the end of a rainbow can lead you to want to practice, right? Like the, and, and there's so much in our life that we don't look at as that way. Like we're practicing a skill. Every time we do something, we're practicing doing it that way. And we're reinforcing that behavior. You know, if every time you go into your car, you, you know, you have your key in your shirt pocket and you take it out and you put it into the ignition, you turn the key, you know, and, and then you notice that like, Oh, I'm, the threads on the corner of the shirt pockets are wearing out. I wonder why I'm doing that. And then you realize, oh, I'm, I've been doing this thing wrong. I don't want to have to sew up my shirts anymore. So I'm going to get used to putting it in my my pants pocket. But then when I sit down, if I forget to take the key out, it's harder to, so I got to do that thing where I'm stretching forward and it's uncomfortable and it hurt my back. So I can't do that. So I have to find, maybe I should get a clip for my keychain. And you begin introducing these complexities into your life because you're, you realize that you've been doing something wrong. Does that make any sense? Am I going anywhere with this? No, or? I think so. I think so. I think an important part of what you're talking about is, well, first of all, I think it's important to understand that, you know, we, we tend to oversimplify things sometimes because we act like, well, there's a skill that I undertook this one day. And then in the fullness of time, I became this good at it. And it's never, it's rarely really that simple because no matter what it is that you're doing, this is a very broad statement. Mm-hmm. No matter whatever whatever new skill or changed skill you're picking up and practicing, it comes out of a continuum. So even if you're learning, if you're hitting a keyboard, if your hand is touching a keyboard for the first time, that's still an extension of other skills that involve physical manipulation with your hands and fingers. It involves the ability to, to write words and to think in a way, you know, there's still all kinds of stuff that came before that. It's just that that's a tidy way to jump in. So, I mean, for example, don't you write a little bit differently when you're typing versus when you're writing longhand. There's actually a lot more to it than just that, but let's stick with just the physical part for now. And the thing is, you know, as soon as you undertake or are caused to undertake an improvement in what you're doing, there tends to be some incentives. Like here's biggest incentive. Number one is if I keep, uh, if I keep sitting in this one position, I know that's going to make me go to the doctor with how much my back hurts. Like I have learned that I've got to sit differently. And if I start sitting differently today, I might start feeling better as soon as today. Right. So I think there are some kinds of improvements, changes, rehearsal practice that have the benefit of having a clear goal that can be, uh, if not accomplished, at least improved very quickly. So that those kinds of things feel like a no-brainer. You know, whether it's the, to stop doing this one bad thing or start doing this better thing, you, you know there's an incentive to stop doing that. Quit slamming your hand in the door. That's the thing I need to practice. But then it gets, it gets then on the continuum, it gets more and more abstract. Because then there's the next level where you're like, well, like you describe, where like there's those ab- abstract things of like, well, I know from people telling me that if I get good at touch typing, many good things will happen. Right. But it sucks because like whether, whether you're doing 10 key or typing or whatever, Whatever it is, it is so much less 
effective, efficient, and elegant while you're learning it. While you are effectively unlearning an old habit. Like if you learn to hunt and peck and then have to do touch typing, it's incredibly frustrating. I remember in business administration class, which is like similar to what you would call typing class, I guess, uh, I always cheated at 10 key you know, the calculator input. I was, I was so much faster looking at the keys, but that's not what the class was. The class was don't look at the keys. I never got good at that. I always cheated. But if I had stuck with it, certainly I would be able to run a calculator faster today. But that's it is it is abstract. So what I'm trying to get at here is like on the one hand, on this left side of the continuum here, you've got stuff where it's a no-brainer. Like I've got to do this thing that makes pain go away right. or gets rid of absolute zero productivity. But then it gets a little more abstract. And you get into, well, I have to take it on faith that practicing this thing, I can tolerate the fact that I'm less efficient for a while because I know that if I unlearn my bad habit and relearn this new habit, I'll go from sucking to being pretty good. Right. Then here's the fascinating one. Um, and I'm thinking of a specific example. I wish I could remember this exactly. But imagine, I, I remember hearing a story about, about Neil Peart where even after Rush had done what I would consider their best albums, at some point, Neil Peart I think pretty radically changed his drumming style. And it could be the kind of thing where you go from being the caveman rock and roll drummer with the overhand to doing like the jazz. Oh yeah. Things. But like that, that requires, if you did not learn to play drums, the quote unquote right way, can you imagine being considered one of the best drummers in the world, throwing out your entire like hand technique to learn this new one? Or in my case, like when you learn classical guitar, you put your knee up in that real fruity way and you always pressed your thumb against the back of the neck and had exactly had your fingers in the right place. I still grab around the neck like a caveman when I play guitar because I learned it wrong on my own. So I would have to unlearn all of that. But I guess what I'm saying is even the people who get really good at this stuff sometimes have to unlearn the thing that they're great at to get even better at it. And boy, you talk about abstract. Could you imagine that? Like at any point, the guy who played YYZ could go back to this old bad style and play great, but he didn't because he wanted to get, he, he realized that it was somewhat perhaps retarding his growth as a drummer to not be able to grow in the organic way that that improved style would allow. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Now t- talk about abstract. And that's why I think a lot of us give up on stuff. It's like in my case, there's an upcoming episode of Reconcilable Differences where we talk about Syracuse and I talk about music. I talk about how I taught myself guitar. And to this day, I play my D's backwards. I'm almost 50 years old and I still play my D's with my index and middle finger on the wrong strings. Make a D and then switch. And that's that's how I play my D's. Because I I learned it out of books with chords and I was not paying attention to which finger should be on which string. But see, it's funny because technically that's that's wrong. Um, But... Like if that's the way that you do it and it works for you and there's no downside to that, then does it matter? You know, and there's that's kind of like the almost the old person philosophy of like, I've been doing it that way for years and it works fine. It might not be the right way, but if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. It depends on what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Like, um, I'm about to use a, a phrase that I can't believe I would apply to myself. Like, what is my running style? Well, my running style is uh, occasionally I worry that I'm being chased by a vampire twice a year, so I have to run. That's exactly as much as I run. Like, I don't run. But if I did run, I bet my running style would be pretty poor. Now, in the case of my wife, she has to really think about her running style because she has, like, you know, I think what she had, proprioception in her ankle and stuff like that. She had to think about, like, how to get her running style right so she, A, wouldn't injure herself, and then, B, also be able to run these long distances. Because if you're running wrong, 
for like 10 miles? Do you not like realize how badly you could hurt yourself? You ever see some dingus running down the road, flapping his arms around? And like, even I could look at that and go, that's a terrible running style. It's not, and so it's not just to look, look cool when you're running. It's that you will never be able to get past a certain level of expertise until you get the right technique. Look at golfing. Look at, look at the incredible amount of like practice and technique that goes into so many aspects of golfing. On one level, it seems like the simplest thing in the world. <laughs> you take a stick with a weight on the end and hit a ball. Right. But there are so many things to grip and like where you put your feet and like what, you know, there's just, you talk about the, extreme long tail of expertise that comes in golf. But there are people who enjoy that aspect of it. They want to spend the next 50 years of their life getting better at golf. So I, 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 if, you, if you can get by with it, it's fine. It's just that whether you're Neil Pert or Tiger Woods, there probably comes a point where you have to say, well, in order for me to get even better, I might be in the top 1% of skill at this in the world or the top whatever 5% of this in the world. Right, right. Like the only way for me to get even higher and for this to remain rewarding and for me to go uninjured is to change some things about what I'm doing. So, I, I think that's I think it's fascinating and I, and I would like to talk uh, more about the practice part because I think it's interesting. But I think you have something you want to tell me about. I can tell you about Just Works if you want to grow your business and not your busy work. Check out Just Works. Takes care of all of your benefits, your payroll, your HR, they do everything, and it was created by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs because running a successful business is pretty hard just by itself. You know, there's thousands of little details just in making your business work without adding things like dental insurance and 401k plans and, you know, medical benefits and direct deposit, payroll, all of this stuff. This is what Just Works does, and it does just work. It's really, really awesome. Everything is right there in your company dashboard. You get a calendar, you have an HR concierge, you get a document center. It manages time off, a company directory, unemployment insurance. Like they do all of this. They help you take the most tedious and time consuming part of your job and make it the simplest and most automated part of your day. And it's awesome. You're going to get 15% off your first year if you go to justworks.com slash back to work spelled out. And the code that you will use to get that is back to work. And the average sign-up time takes like three minutes. You don't have to send paperwork or fax them anything. It just couldn't be simpler. Uh, go check it out. Justworks.com slash back to work. Visiting that URL supports our show. And using the code back to work gets you 15% off. Thanks very much to JustWorks for supporting 5 by 5 and back to work. I think they used our name, you know, to inspire their company name. Back to work just works. Dental plan. <laughs> and how do you respond? <laughs> to dent to dental plan? Dental plan. I don't is there a, a correct response to that? Dental plan. Lisa needs braces. Dental plan. Oh, Lisa needs braces. Is from the dental plan. <laughs> Lisa needs braces. Is that dental the one where plan. he's negotiating the in the Woo-hoo. union? <laughs> <laughs> they have the plant, but we have the power. <laughs> yes, yes. One of the all-time great episodes. Great episode. What's it called? Spring. Uh, oh, I forget the name of it. But it's classic. Classic. Now play classical gas. <sighs> <laughs> I really should stop ending the tour here. <laughs> <laughs> Dental plan. Anyway, um, hmm. I just got an email. About what? A Wayfind is shutting down. A Wayfind? A Wayfind. Yeah, that bums my head. I uh, really like a Wayfind. 
A wayfind. I wonder why it's shutting down. Now, did you see that thing of it was economics? A- so why are we shutting down? <laughs> it's just economics. That's a quote from Jared. It's right there. Yep, it's cl- closing this month. That's too bad. Oh, uh, you're cool. you're right here on the on the cover of a wayfind on yes. the, the main page. Yes, I must like it. Um, yeah, it's the service that I've recommended <laughs> to people for years uh, that lets you go in and identify. Uh, domain names or email addresses of people you never want to miss, so you can shut off all of your notifications elsewhere. And he's right; there are lots of. He sent a very nice email to every all the users, saying all these different ways that you can accomplish what a Wayfind does. But yeah, I'm sorry to see that go. Thank you, Jared uh, and team. That's that's been a great product. That bones my head. I uh, boy, I love that app. What so does that mean that just their services <laughs> is going away? Going and away, then- going away. Get to the end of the month to get your stuff out. Mm. Yeah, but you know, great work, Jared and team. That's uh, it's a great, uh, great app. Hakuna Matata. Yeah. Um, practice, practice, practice. Yeah. Um, boy, I don't know. A lot of angles. A lot of angles. When you you were, do you have good handwriting? <laughs> what do you think? I I would guess no. No, I don't. Are you a lefty? No, okay. I'm not an animal. Well, just I gotta ask. No, I'm not a lefty. No, no, I'm not. I uh, <clears throat> my handwriting has never been good. It's been notoriously bad my whole life. I managed to get it better for a while, mm-hmm. um, and I actually have thoughts on this. But uh, no, now when I go into a store or I have to fill out a form or something, or I like want to put a signature release on the door, it looks like a serial killer lives there. Like it just, <laughs> it's all like just erratic, weird angles, different sizes. Mm-hmm. It, it looks looks like I wrote it in the dark, like on uh, on heroin or something. Like it's bad. See, I mine is the same. It, it just it's very bad. But the thing that I've noticed about it is that it's not even consistent. That the way that I write one day is equally bad, but in a different way the next day. You know oh, what I'm yeah. saying? Like it doesn't. It doesn't look. It looks like a different person writing on Monday than it does on Tuesday. Very interesting. Yeah, and I have a thought on that. Uh, that's way off topic, but yeah, I I, I think I, I think it's really lots of people talk about this, but I really believe this. I want to use a, I don't know if I'm using the right word, modality, like the, the modalities of the way that you choose to record thoughts and ideas or words uh, can make such a difference. Like the way that my brain works when I'm typing in, you know, like TextMate versus even the way that my mind works when I'm typing on iOS in Elements versus the way when I'm writing on an index card versus um, when the way, the way that I'm writing in like a, a notebook with lines or not lines versus drawing mm. versus a mind map versus all those different ways i mean if i really pay attention to what i'm doing i think really differently because i i see the territory that i can walk as being so different you know i mean the most obvious example is for me if, if i'm typing on my ipad I, i'm not as unconstrained as i feel when i'm on a desktop or a laptop and i don't know i think it's really interesting but i, I mean something that really helped me a lot is i realized that I don't know, as with reading Shakespeare, I think you have to write at the right speed and with the right amount of care. I think if you write too fast, if, if I write too fast and too sloppy, yeah. I, I think kind of sloppy. Um, if, I, if I write too slow, well, I'm not getting anything accomplished. But I've noticed that if I force, not force myself, but if I choose to write neatly and a little bit slower than I could write, I actually get a lot more accomplished. 
it's very, very strange, but the, the phrase goes through my head, slow your roll. Just slow, slow your roll. roll. <laughs> slow your roll is a good thing to tell yourself a lot of the time. Slow your roll, in this case, is just like, wait a minute, this is not a race. You do not need to write as fast as you can. If you write a little bit slower than your mind is working, you might give your mind the chance to actually exercise and get a lot more out than if you're writing as fast as you can. Because if you go <laughs> onto the page before your brain's had a chance to compose another thought, you might just be out of stuff and go get distracted. But if you cause yourself to write a letter at a time, not like a, not like an idiot, <laughs> but a little slower than you think and write a little neater than you normally would, right. try, try this as an experiment. It actually, I find it makes a big difference for me. Even if I'm writing a list, if I write a little bit more slowly, I think it, it kind of exercises my brain a little bit. I always feel, there, and I think that the reason that my handwriting is so bad, it, besides the fact that it, it seems tedious in a weird way, is that I always feel like I'm not going to, unlike typing, I'm not going to be able to get whatever important thing I need to be writing down. I'm not going to get it down fast enough and I'll lose it or I'll lose the thought that is ahead of the thought that I'm having now. And yeah. so, and it'll be gone. It'll be gone forever unless I write really, really fast. And of course, that's no good because if I write really fast, it'll be so messy and illegible that later on I won't even be able to to read it. I've always thought, oh, I should learn, you know, shorthand. So I'd be I, able I, to I write in shorthand. shorthand. I used to do shorthand. I learned that in business administration too. It was really interesting, Greg shorthand. Um, you know, the other thing I don't know if you suffer from this, but uh, I, I I realized at some point I used to be very into physical artifacts of writing. I'm trying to, I'm being vague here, but for example, like in the early 43 folders days, I was very into index cards and writing with a pen in a notebook and doing mind maps and whiteboards. I would always have all my projects on index cards on the wall. And I always really, really enjoyed that a lot. At some point, maybe when I started to write more things that needed to be published electronically, uh. I think I unintentionally allowed myself to um, develop a certain mind block about writing on paper for, for an incredibly obvious reason, which is that whatever I do on this paper is going to have to eventually get redone somewhere else. So, and, and I think that might be a fallacy or, a, or a, an anti-pattern in my head because, you know, if it's just a first draft, like just get it down. Just get it down on the paper. That's totally fine. So I think I felt a certain resistance to doing that because I knew I'd have to retype it eventually. But if it's a first draft, like, who cares? Just, you know, just write it down. Do you, does that, do you understand what I'm saying? I, I think totally I, unintentionally, I unintentionally was like, this is a waste of time. Right. Because it all needs to be typed into, you know, WordPress or Drupal eventually. Yeah, that's really interesting. The whole idea, like, when, when you sit down to write now, if you're in front of a, of a computer or an iPad, like, you'll, will you use, like, a text editor, whether it's, like, drafts on your iPad or, or TextMate or something on it, or are you writing in, like, a word processor most of the time when you're writing? <laughs> are you toying with me? No. Okay. You're all, uh, you're all, uh, you're all Markdown now, right? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, if, uh, on my, if I'm on a computer, regardless of the computer, almost always in NVLT, and I'll sometimes switch over to TextMate uh -huh. for certain kinds of things. But yeah, still NVAlt. And then on the iPad, it's uh, purely drafts, uh, the, app, the app called Drafts, drafts and uh, Editorial. And I use both of those together a lot. I start, a lot, start almost everything in drafts and then create a new file in Dropbox with a workflow button. And then I pop over to Editorial and do any serious business uh, in there. 
But no, no, I mean, like, you know this from sponsors, but it used to be that only accountants and lawyers sent Microsoft Office stuff. Right. But now also advertisers, everything's in DocX. So like, I sometimes have to open that up somewhere. Have you noticed how hard it's gotten to change a document into HTML? Oh, it yeah. Used, it used to be really easy. Like Word did it, but like between Google Docs and Word and Pages, it's not that easy. It used to be also you could paste stuff into text edit. Does text edit even do it? Like it puts it out like as the full like HTML, like as an archive.zip. But it's weird. It's those world, worlds are getting harder to merge together. So I, I avoid word processors like the plague. And I only I, I like Google Docs and I like Google Spreadsheets a, a lot, but I only use this for things where I have to collaborate with people who prefer that. Yeah, it's, it's all my own. It's all text files. Yeah, see, I love that, and I think you were the f- person that turned me on to to NVAlt. But I find that like I become really focused on maybe it's a bad habit, but I become really focused on like a particular tool, and I get my comfort level going in that tool, and then I kind of want to use it for everything, and then I feel out of sorts if I'm not using that thing for everything. And so, like, I you know for a long time I was just using TextMate, and I decided to. Maybe I wanted to try something else. So I tried Sublime Text 3. I tried the Atom editor. I tried a bunch of other ones and I kind of settled on Sublime Text and it's not perfect, but there's a lot of things that I like about it. If, if you get your preferences file right and I have a gist I can put into our show notes for mine. And it's, it's great because most of the stuff that I'm typing these days has been code as I'm working on a, a couple projects. I'm typing a lot of code, but then if I think, oh, I want to make a quick list or I want to create a text file uh, or I want to write an article or just some thoughts that I'll want to do it in sublime text because I'm already in the mode of like, this is the way the screen looks when I'm typing something. And if I were to switch to something else, uh, I'll be like, oh, right, that doesn't look right. And somehow I feel a little out of sorts and 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 I want to kind of make those the the operating system and the tools and everything get out of the way as much as possible. So it's like when when you answer and you say oh everything's in NVAlt like that's your that's your comfort zone for that, you know? And I found that like that transition from going from one editor to another editor, I had all these sort of habits of like this is how I do it and right away my initial response from doing it is like well this this isn't as good as it was in the other editor, even though there's these other features that might be cool. But you can also totally round trip. There's nothing that steps on anything between those apps. As long as you're using the text files, which is the the big secret, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, it was a funny thing where for a long time, uh, I just used BB Edit for years, since whatever, 1995, 96. And um, and it was such a big deal when TextMate came out. Um, Such an amazing app. I'm still using TextMate 1. That's that's how... Well, no, I don't even. I don't want to change anything. Like it works. I've I've got all these macros and stuff that do what I want. But but my point is that like for a long time I was ramping up into TextMate by doing more and more stuff with snippets and macros and all kinds of preference stuff. And so over a period of probably five years, I got more and more into TextMate, and then mostly kind of just hung with that. But then with NVL, a funny thing happened where, so, so I guess the, the obvious thing to mention is that I kind of, I hate that word forced myself. That sounds, mm. that's not the, what I want to say, but I, I, I chose to make myself do more stuff in TextMate because the more I used TextMate, the more I realized I could do with TextMate, the more I got done. That was all great. But then when I got into notational velocity and now MV Alt, uh, I actually kind of went in another direction, which is like, now I want to learn this app. And I use, you know, Preterpsia's services. If you get his, uh, OS 10 services, there's so much stuff you can do, especially, you know, in conjunction with NVL. But NVL does like all kinds of stuff where like if you have an URL, if you have a URL in the uh, clipboard 
and you hit Option Command V with text selected, it turns it into a Markdown link. Like I, I th- that kind of stuff I just use all the time. So my point is that like at one point I got more and more into this way over the top nerdy development environment called TextMate. But over time I kind of kept saying, well, now I want to learn what I what can I do in NB Alt and get good at that, even though it may not be able to do Python. <laughs> yeah. So now you know. And I don't do a lot of stuff with reference links in Markdown. I mostly just do inline links. For me, that's ended up, you know, that to me, that's the real spirit of Markdown. It's just on the fly writing. You can obviously it's great for longer projects too, but I you know I, I could I could at this point probably live without multi-markdown. There's a point when I never would have thought that. But most of what I do is just basic, really basic markdown, which is exactly what it's good for. But you're right. I mean, it's strange to me. Like if I open up an app, like I, I still I also really like um task taskmate. God, I don't even know what the names of things are. Task, task paper. Oh yeah, um, for to do list stuff, I use that constantly. Um, but you know, it still it looks different. It's and I haven't gone in and changed all the you know fonts and everything. But the fact that it looks different throws me off a little that's bit. So exactly. I know, I know what you're yeah, about. that's what I'm yeah. talking about. And it's like you get in, and you know, you can make you can make these things look a lot like one another if if you spend the time to tweak the preferences and tweak the settings and things like that. But I still really like the idea of like what NVAlt has as far as being that quick search so you can find that thing that you were you were doing. And I have kept all of the stuff that I have done with whether it's MySQL, PostgreSQL, system administration, all these little sort of hints and tips and the way that, you know, like you can cut and paste a command to do something, especially on like a, a Unix Linux system uh, for years and years and years have kept stuff in NVAlt so that I'd like, oh, right, this is Solaris and this is how I have to do it here. And I could just type in Solaris MySQL, boom, there's the there's the thing. Or restarting a service on this particular flavor of Linux that I hardly ever touch, but that's what our streaming server uses. So I need, you know, that kind of thing. It is where I really got into that as far as like keeping, you know, searchable searchable tips that I could know that I could get to them on any system that I was using. And you know what, even if I was on like a console on a Unix system somewhere, I could SSH to a server and get them, you know, because it's a file or I could hook up with Dropbox and now it's on all my devices. And that kind of stuff is, is super handy, but I still find that I'm typing that stuff into an editor. I'm using that for like storing and almost like as like a card catalog in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do the same. Like I, sometimes when spotlight freaks out, you know, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. So, I mean, like, we're, I'll, I'll just want to like do the whole, you know, reset thing. And so I have a note in here. God, this is from a Mac Rumors, Mac Rumor, Mac Amore, <laughs> Mac Amore.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where I, yeah, I guess that's where I got this from 2011. Like, how to sudo mdutil i off. Like, basically, how, how to like turn off Spotlight, reset the index, and turn it back on. I just keep those little snippets and just pay, copy and paste those into the terminal. I use it, you know, four times times a year, but that's exactly what it's perfect for. Like I could bookmark that, but for those little kinds of things I put in here, like Dr. Drang posted a nice uh, snippet one time about you ever do like run Onyx or something, and when you restart, you get duplicates under open with. You ever gotten that? Where you mm. open up, you take a file, you click it, you left click, you do open with, yeah. and there'll be duplicates for a lot oh, of yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's like a little command you can run that'll that'll take care of that. And so I keep that kind of stuff in NVL too. But NVL for me, like a lot of it these days is show notes. 
Like right now, I'm looking at the show notes for Back to Work, and I always, this is an old, you've heard me talk about this on, some of you have heard me talk about this on Mac Power Users, but I name all my files in a pretty consistent way. Um, it's a little nerdy. It's a little nerdy. Mm. It's super nerdy, but like it enables me to do stuff like I put all the information that changes at the end of the file so I can just select it and then quickly change, add a text expander thing for the date, update the uh, episode. And then that makes it easy for me to go and say, oh, uh, you know, Squarespace was a, was a sponsor on Roderick three weeks ago. So I just need to go copy and paste that snippet from here and then right. pa- paste that into here. And NVL makes that really, really fast. I, I'm, I seem to, I, when, last time, I, I think last time I was on Systematic with uh, Brett Terpster, he mentioned he's working on a uh, he's working on like a commercial version of NVL. Like you're going to be able to buy all the new stuff that's coming to NVL. It's going to be in a four pay version, and I'm really looking forward to that. And I will happily pay. For oh yeah, that. I mean the, the last I think that you know he's he's been on two point two. Sounds like what I'm using. Yeah, he's got a pretty, he had a pretty substantial, I'm trying to remember what the big changes were. Between this and Marked, I get really confused about what, what I don't even remember what features Brett has introduced where. Right. Between MVL and Marked and his uh, OS ten services, let alone his key bindings. You know what? Don't mess with Brett's key bindings unless you're really ready to go deep. But <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even know how stuff on my, on my computer works anymore because it's just stuff that I'm installed that, you know, it just works now. <laughs> But that'll that'll be great. MVL is really great, not for everybody. But I mean, even a great app like Byword. Byword. I mean, people seem like a lot of my friends are kind of split between you know a lot of them love Byword on all the uh, platforms. A lot of them love MVL. Like Byword, it work it works great and it's exactly perfect for what it does. But as pretty as it is, it looks weird to me because I'm used to looking at you know a more codey looking uh, interface. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm not a developer, that's like what I'm used to looking at. So like. Oh, people love this stuff. I, I use Inconsolata seventeen in um, NVAlt, and uh, and that's kind of just what I'm used to looking at. I use Inconsolata fifteen or seventeen almost everywhere, and that makes me happy. <laughs> well, again, no, but you know what? It's one of those things that you you get used to things looking a certain way, and there's a feeling to a uh, to a certain kind of a font. And if you see it and if you're used to looking at it, well, it's black on a white background or white on a black background or whatever you're used to, that can kind of put you in a Pavlovian way into a certain mode of thinking. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I'm, again, I'm fascinated by that kind of thing. Why does it do that? Why? So I find I will do the same thing as you. And recently, I, not that recently, a few months ago, I started a new coding project and I said, you know what? I'm going to choose a new font. To kind of go along with this, uh, a new coding font to go along with this new coding project to see what that's like. Because I, I, I know that I, like probably many writers and developers and people have these sort of bad habits that we might want to shed. And I thought, would it, wouldn't it be interesting that maybe if I switched editors and switched fonts all at the same time as I begin this new coding project, maybe I will adopt a new coding style, or maybe my code will be improved in some way, or maybe I'll feel differently about the whole process of sitting down to create something that in my case was, is a, is code, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it worked for me. I'm not sure if this will work for everyone. I'm not sure if it'll work again, but it definitely worked. And I found that looking at something that looked different in an editor that I wasn't quite used to, that had a different feeling and in a, in a font that was different made me feel very different about the way that I approached the project. And I found that, and you know what? There's other circumstances that go on in someone's life that might contribute to this, but I found it was much less frustrated 
when I approached it. And I looked forward to, to doing that more. And I looked forward to the times that I could code and I didn't find myself getting bogged down quite as much. And that was very interesting to me. It could be completely unrelated or it could be a hundred percent because of that. I don't know, but it was, it's fascinating because switching something like the editor you're using or the font that you're using, you know, and the font that I went with, I'm using input, uh, the input family, which I'll, I'll put into the show notes cause I really like it. Um, have you tried that one? Um, I'm not sure. It's from font bureau and it's free. Uh, it was designed by, uh, David Jonathan Ross and font bureau is the ones that have, have put that out there. You can, Oh yeah. Input. Yeah. Yeah. And at first you look at it and you're like, Hmm, yeah, I don't know. But there are so many different little variations of it. There's a, a mono, there's a sans, there's a, there's a serif. And I really had a lot of fun experimenting with the different you know, like versions of this font. Oh, yeah, it's, it's really block, blocky. Yeah, and you, can, you could use it in a lot of different ways. And depending on the different you know, themes that you use in your editor, it can look a lot of different ways. And it's a really, really nice font. If you're lucky enough to have a retina screen... And my MacBook is uh, is is a Retina screen. It's absolutely stunning on that. And when I look at it on my uh, MacBook Air, it's not quite as nice. Mm-hmm. But I was an Inconsolata person for years and years and years. And they came out with like an Inconsolata dash DZ, which I think has like quotes that are a little bit more standard. So I was using that one. But just making that change kind of reframed the whole the whole concept of work in a strange way. I, and and that's a fascinating thing. Have you ever experienced something like that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I've experienced it <clears throat> experienced. I've I've uh, <laughs> I definitely experienced the experience of that. No, I, but but in two in two very significant ways um at least. You know, one is where you undertake let's say you you in your case like you're doing a new project it's going to involve a new kind of stuff. You decide to have a fresh coat of paint on stuff. Mm-hmm. That's really, okay, I'm back to that idea of mise en place in, in uh, the kitchen, right? The idea of like how you set up the kitchen uh, and prepare in the kitchen to do the work you're going to do, right? And we should talk more about this. Um, hey, Dan, uh, can you tell me about something you like? Sure. Let me tell you about Wealthfront. Wealthfront is a low-cost automated investment service that makes it easy to invest your money the right way. It works 24-7 to manage your portfolio. This helps you keep it diversified, and you customize this to your risk profile. What is that? That's actually the coolest thing, I think, about Wealthfront. You go to their site, and when you sign up, you complete this very simple little profile that tells them what you're comfortable with and how you're comfortable investing, right? So if you're if you're young, you're just starting out, you're like, I don't care, go crazy, invest in all kinds of stuff. They'll do that. They'll invest and they'll 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 pick some more aggressive investment strategies for you. If you're like, you know what, not not so comfortable with that, your profile tells them that and they will scale back and they'll they'll do more conservative investments for you. And you can change this at any time. They keep your tax bill low. They don't ever charge commissions. And whether you've got millions or you're just starting out, they have the most sophisticated way to invest your money because you want to do this for the long term. Most investors, you're going to work with like a traditional advisor. They're going to charge you a huge fee. 1% is the average, but traditional folks, they're going to charge anywhere from like 1% to 3% of what you've got under management plus hidden fees for transactions. You make a change to your account, that's a fee. Well, it's not really good. That eats into your uh, your precious nest egg. 
You don't want to eat into your precious nest egg. <laughs> not, my don't. Precious, not my precious nest egg. <laughs> you don't want to eat into that. Your nest egg is precious. It is. And, uh, and, and you know what? These guys can help you uh, grow the nest egg, not, not eat up the nest egg. So they have set up a special URL that supports our show. It supports 5x5. Go to wealthfront.com slash 5x5 and you will pay uh, just one quarter of 1% a year. That's it. But, but... If you go to that URL, wealthfront.com slash 5x5, you will get your first $15,000 entirely free of charge for life, managed totally free, so you don't pay commissions, no hidden fees, and you won't pay any management costs for that fifteen k. So go check it out, wealthfront.com slash 5x5. And now I, I must read this compliance thing. Uh, and, and here it is. For compliance purposes, I have to tell you that Wealthfront Inc. is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are offered through Wealthfront Brokerage Corporation member FINRA. I was FINRA. Told, I should, told I should pronounce it FINRA. <laughs> Thank you to listener Jan David. <laughs> yes, and SIPC. This is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities. Investing in securities involves risks, and there's a possibility of losing money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit Wealthfront.com to read our full disclosure. FINRA. I am no FINRA with that ad. <laughs> no motorcycles after 3 p.m. <laughs> FINRA. I can just pronounce it. Sunday, Sunday. No overpass. No <laughs> underpass. Tire, tires to grip the road, you son of a bitch. <laughs> FINRA, FINRA. <sighs> uh, thank you. Bok, bok. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so... We talked about this, uh, and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing this. I'm not. A, I'm not a French statistician, mm-hmm. but a mise en place. Because I'm about to do a giant. I'm about. To, I'm going to drop a giant ass metaphor on you. So be ready. I'm ready. Okay, it's about the kitchen. Um. So in mise en place, the idea is that you know when everybody gets to work, you, there's the work you do before you work. Like when I was a busboy, that meant like you know, uh, you know, polishing the glasses, uh, getting the you know, polishing the silverware, restocking the ice. There's all the work you have to do to be ready to do your work. <laughs> yeah. Such an interesting idea. Most of us don't really think about this. I was I was watching that um, Miyazaki uh, documentary last night, and it's interesting to notice as much as that guy gets done, how efficient he is, how fast he makes decisions, how much of his day is spent doing things like stretching exercises, closing curtains, cleaning things up, removing the goats from outside his house, the make believe goats, waving to the children across. He's got this whole like series of rituals that he goes through every day. That's part of his work to do the work. Um, super is it, organized. Is it the kingdom of dreams and madness. That's right. Okay. That's right. Um, but mise en place in the kitchen uh, means, and uh, perhaps we can again find this NPR story that people could listen to. Um, mise en place is the idea that you have your kitchen set up in a certain very tidy way and you work in a certain way. As Who's the ratatouille chef? Colette? Like she, she describes the way you use the knife, the way you work clean. You do all this stuff. And so in mise en place, like you always have the ingredients that you're going to need, just the stuff you need out at a certain point. But I'm thinking of it in general as the setup and the way that you do your work before you work in order to do your work. And so in this case, if you're getting a new project in, in Rails or Ruby, like you're, you're, you're like doing, running the script that outputs all the files, you got the folders in a certain place, you've got already got you know, the basic, you do a bootstrap or whatever to set things up in this certain way, and now you can go get to the work. And I think the kitchen analogy is really super duper important in a couple ways. Let's take the good way first. Jump in at any point. I'm, so I'm probably going to ramble here. But if you like think about how you use your kitchen generally, like in our case, like this morning, my wife was getting lunch ready for our daughter. She made coffee. She made a curry cup for herself. She did some dishes and then she got 
um, made some breakfast for my daughter and lunch for my daughter because my wife does all the work. But, you know, she had things set up in a certain way. She took out only the containers that she needed. She knew, okay, if Eleanor is having tofu with a soy sauce packet for lunch and strawberries in this container, we get the bento box. You take out the, I know this sounds really ridiculous, but follow me. She takes out, she doesn't take out every container that we could use for this. She takes out just the containers that she needs. She knows that these containers fit in this lunch box, which means we'll use this water bottle. She's going to need these utensils. And she takes out only that stuff that she needs and she very efficiently puts this together. Now, why is that interesting? Well, it's not interesting except in as much as my family has made a lot of those lunches for our daughter and knows that workflow extremely well. Now, there are things that can hinder that workflow. That workflow can be hindered by having the table where we prepare this be messy or have mail on it or have my computer set up there or whatever, right? So what do we do? We try to minimize the amount of sprawl that's on there because we know we're going to need that surface in the morning when we're kind of tired right. and time constrained. And so, but that's a, that's a practice in, in the kitchen is we try to keep that area tidy because that you want a hygienic place to make lunch for your kid. You get just the containers that you need. You go and you get the little frozen thing out of the freezer. Oh, did we remember to put the frozen thing in last night to refreeze? Yes, of course we did because that's part of the workflow. When you get, when I bring my daughter, I, I have my daughter in the afternoon. So we bring home the lunch. I clean out all the containers. I put the frozen thing back in the freezer. This is all part of a workflow. It's, but it's, it's to accomplish the simplest thing in the world, which is so that our daughter can have lunch at school on the day she packs lunch. Right. So that's a very, very simple thing to do. But what makes that project tolerable is that it's a, it's a thing we've done a bunch of times and can improve on. Improvements can include, we need to buy some new containers that aren't old and stained and gross. We need a new frozen thing that doesn't have like a raspberry stain on it. We need a new lunchbox that didn't have soy sauce spilled in it. These are the kinds of things you have to do is replenish these supplies, get things set up in a certain way. And now, is that the most fun thing in the world to do? Not really. But it's nice to have a sharp knife to cut stuff. It's right. nice to have a clean surface to work on. It's nice to know that there's nothing that's going to stop you from getting this done in an efficient way. So to me, that's what you're doing in some ways. Now, what you're saying is like, here's a new thing we have to do. And that could be maybe making lunch for camp. Mm-hmm. Is there anything different about that? Oh, yeah. Everything has to be disposable or nothing can be disposable. You're not allowed to have sugar today. There's a million different things that has to go through your head for this seemingly obvious, easy thing. But you've done enough that you know now how to optimize that environment. You know how to plan ahead. Do we have uh, sliced turkey for this week? Oh no, we need to get sliced turkey for this week. It becomes just a part of your life. All really dumb stuff, but I don't think it's that different from work as a programmer in some cases. Because if you know your environment is set up the way you want, you got all, all, all your little include statements are ready, all of your, your web brick or whatever you use is ready. Like all that stuff is ready to go. And you introduce a little change like changing the typeface to the font. That can be a really great thing. So, I mean, so how's that going for you? So far in your, in your new project. And it's, I've enjoyed it. I've really liked it. And it's, it's, you know, it's kind of reframed it for me in a way. And I'm not sure that I would do this like every time. Like, I'm not sure that I'm going to go into, uh, you know, whenever I start something new that I'm going to throw away my old environment and start with something new. But I don't know. Like, I felt like I'd, I picked up some kind of mental. And again, like uh, this goes back to this this physical uh, personal training stuff that I've been doing. And one of the things I was talking to uh, the the woman who's you know who's putting me through these bases about, as she says, you know, your mind will develop this pattern. I think we talked about this in the last show. Your mind will develop this pattern where you actually anticipate and then feel the pain a little bit before you're actually doing the thing that may or may not really cause you the pain. And so you've begun this mental cycle that you need to get out of. And 
you know, maybe I was feeling some kind of pain or frustration or old mind state every time that I would address the computer to go and begin writing code. And I wanted to, I wanted to shake that off and it is definitely done that. And I'd like looking at my code. It is different. It hmm. is different. It looks different. The way I'm doing the formatting is different. And some of this is conscious. And some of this is because I'm saying, well, how did I used to do it? I'm going to, I'm going to try doing it a little bit differently than that. Whereas I used to have these sort of coding rules I went and I researched, you know, you can Google for like Ruby best practices and everybody has this, a code style guide that they think is the best. But I studied some of those and I learned from them uh, and I said, you know what, like I have been doing it this old way. And I think I learned it when I was doing Java, you know, like in the, in the late nineties, early two thousands time period. And like, why am I still formatting this stuff that way when there are, there is sort of a newer way of doing it. I remember when, uh, my uncle, he, who's who's from and lived in Paris for many years, he's from France. He always used to make. I remember I told him that uh, we were going to be going to Quebec, and and he ah oh, Quebec. Oh. I'm like, what's wrong with it? It's like, the well, you know, they they don't speak real French there. <laughs> I'm like, what kind of French do they speak there? He's like, is, I'm like, is it not French? He's like. It's, it's, it's not mod, it's not Parisian French, you know, like it's not modern French. French is a, a living, breathing language that has evolved and come so far. And, and he scoffed at it. And I said, well, like, w what does it sound like? He's like, it's like, uh, thou art going to the grocery store kind of French. <laughs> and I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, it's, that's, that's not French, you know? And it's, it's kind of like that in the, in the world of code. It's like, you know, we, we have the, even just in code formatting and people who write a lot of code, I think we develop these things like, well, this is how I indent. And then I go to the bracket and I do this and changing all of that up gives you kind of this fresh perspective on stuff. And I can't really relate it to my approach to writing, writing, because I feel like that's, that's like a thing that's. I don't know. Like I, I don't, I don't have a different approach to that, but like, as I've been having fun, like writing my little newsletter, uh, it's, you know, that feels the same to me in a way that code always feels different to me. And I guess maybe that's because like, I've only ever really written in English and I don't know. There's this weird thing of like, if I write, if I write PHP or if I write Java, I feel the process that goes on in my mind is completely different. Mm -hmm. Then when I'm writing Ruby, it feels like a different kind of thinking, like the kind of thinking you have when you're playing kickball with your kid versus the kind of thinking you might have if you're, you know, writing a movie review, completely different thought processes and feelings associated with it. And like, wait a minute, coding is like an emotional thing. Yeah, like it is. It's an, um, there's like a feeling and a different language has a different feeling. Right, right, right. Isn't that weird though? I don't think it's, I don't think it's actually that weird. Um, I mean, it's almost like, like playing different kind of sports involving a ball. It probably still involves getting a ball from one place <laughs> to another, but the way you do it is so fundamentally different. Like nobody would ever confuse like, you know, lacrosse and baseball. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, I could totally see that just the way. And, and, but also your level of expertise is different in each one of those. So there may be certain kinds of things where like when it comes to rails, like you could maybe think very freely about how that stuff all goes together. Whereas with PHP, it might be a little more clunky right. for, for like having to like, think, Oh, how would I do that here? I, I don't, I honestly, I don't know, but I, I would guess that must be different. 
Yeah, I think it might be. I mean, I have so much of, of Ruby feels natural to me. And I find that I spend much, much, much less time looking stuff up than I do a language I haven't, I haven't used as much. And I also find that like everybody can find the, the language that they feel the most at home with. And I was reading an article not that long ago from somebody who's like a big, they're big into like Erlang and the, and the Erlang is great. And, you know, like I look at Erlang and I'm like, wow, going from what I've been doing to this, it seems like it would be a, it would be kind of a big jump. And I often think, you know, if, if I had a little bit more time, I would love to learn Erlang or I would love to learn Go or I would love to learn Node.js and, and get really proficient at that. And that's something that I notice is a big, a big difference for me now is I have so many things going on that I don't have the time to, to learn something new. So this was kind of my attempt to kind of reboot without having to go through the complete process of learning something brand new from, from scratch. I think it's actually is a pivot to, to the kitchen metaphor. Yeah. This is the next part of this, uh, in my mind, which is, um, so, so you're used to being in your own kitchen with your own setup in your own way. Like what is, what is, what is cooking? Like what, what is meal? <laughs> you know, <laughs> meal, meal is that there are various kinds of food ingredients uh, that we usually refrigerate or use by a certain time. We have certain kinds of ways of preparing them and uh, dishes and utensils uh, or, you know, pots that we use for, for putting them together. There's certain kinds of seasonings. There's the element of time. Uh, there's the utensils that we use to get them on the plate and serve them at the table. All super obvious stuff. Like you guys have probably been eating for a pretty long time. Like you, you know all that stuff. Right. If I ask you to go into your kitchen and make some kind of a, a hearty last minute dish based on ingredients you have in the house, you could probably come up with something. Whether that's macaroni and cheese if it's frozen or whether that's big, like, you know, um, roasting a turkey, you could probably come up with that. If, if you know how to cook, that's not going to be that hard. It's your kitchen. You know that this is the drawer. And even if you're not like tightly wound, I'll bet you generally put your forks in a certain drawer. Oh yeah. And I bet when you put them in that drawer, if you got an organizer, you tend to put them in this certain place. Same way that you never have to search for your toothbrush in the morning. Unless you're doing something horribly, horribly wrong. You should not <laughs> be unaware of where your toothbrush is today. Right. You probably even know which one is yours if there's multiple people in the house. You know where the toothpaste is, or in my case, which toothpaste is mine. Like, there's all that dumb stuff. You just, like, you never have to worry whether, whether toilet paper is in the bathroom. Because hopefully there's toilet paper in the bathroom. But then again, that becomes part of, of a kind of workflow. What about this? You ever go and like have a rental, like a rent, like, like say you got like a vacation house you're renting. Um, it's so disorienting to me the first time I have to do anything in someone else's kitchen. And I'm not even a cook. I'm not really a cook, but like just knowing which drawer in this usually much nicer kitchen than mine, which drawer are the knives in? Or like if it's a really crappy rental, is it going to be like those disposable? kind of Kmart little steak knives mm -hmm. with like fake station on it. Like what can I do with those? These little bit like, like cheap Walmart kind of pots, like whatever it is, it's, you feel the friction in some ways of being in someone else's kitchen because whether it's by a little bit of design or a lot of design, everybody's kitchen is set up in a certain way for the way that they live and the way that they work. Right. So there may be all kinds of things in their kitchen that seems completely bizarre 
to you, even if you're not tightly wound, you're going to notice the friction of cooking in someone else's cook- kitchen more than your own because everything's different. The ingredients are going to be different. The pots are different. The heat's different. Do you know what I'm saying? It, it's kind of a funny feeling. It can be fun. It's kind of an adventure. Like if you're staying at like one of those like um, <laughs> long-term uh, executive suites kind of places that has a little crappy kitchen in it, like it can be kind of an adventure to decide, no, oh, we're going to make hot dogs in our hotel room. Right. <laughs> like, it's like a little adventure. But do you, you feel that friction though, right? Oh, definitely. Because it's not the way that you set it up. You don't have everything to work the way that you want. They probably don't have turmeric. Like there's all kinds of things that are going to be different. And I think that's a little bit like, like computers and coding in a lot of ways is that even if what you're doing is very simple, you're used to your setup and doing it in your own way. And you might not even necessarily know ways to improve, but over time you discover like, Oh, actually, it really does work better if I keep the knives in this area. I want to make sure my pots are clean and stored in this area. I know that to get the pot off the range, I'm going to need pot holders because it's going to be boiling hot. And, you know, and this is the best route from here to the sink. But you're processing all of that on, on this kind of weird subconscious level in a lot of ways. So, you know, when you're in your coding environment, you, you might notice little things that you could, you could, I don't know what your equivalent of a snippet or a library is, some way to make this thing work faster. Okay, this is in the service of getting to the anti-pattern, which is what if you are not good enough at guitar or cooking or developing to know how to set up the environment? What if you're still at that point where you don't know how to tune the guitar, you don't know how to boil water, you don't know how to, you know, you know access this library, well, you could actually spend an extraordinary amount of time on your setup. <laughs> you see where this is going. This is going back to the old mean Merlin stuff. Right, right. But, but, but man, if, if I'm getting into an area, if I'm writing a kind of thing I've never written before, or I'm doing a kind of work I've never done before, I could spend all day picking out the best font in the world, or, or the best notebook, or the best whatever. And, you know, you could also go out, you could buy the most expensive guitar in the world, but it's going to be hard to get good unless you just practice it a lot, mm-hmm. which takes a certain amount of courage. And it takes, like, I guess what I'm trying to get at is having your environment the way you need to work and then improving it as needed is a great way to go. But it's difficult to even know how to set it up unless you've done at least a little bit of work and experience that friction. It's the equivalent of walking into somebody else's kitchen or a hotel room and trying to cook something. And I think that that's, that's an important step to get through. In the same way as, like, for if you're relearning your drum style, like Neil Peart, or you're learning to type, like, you know, Dan on Mavis Beacon, <laughs> hot. <laughs> I think that requires a certain amount of uh, courage and diligence to, to stick with it. And also to avoid the impulse to spend all your time on configuration and fonts instead of doing the stuff that will let you know organically what to do to improve the environment. That's all. Just that. Yeah, just kind of that. I think that kitchen analogy really works, though. No, it does. And I'm not really tightly wound about that personally, um, but I do realize that there's more to cooking than cooking. There's also the remembering to buy groceries and use things by a certain date. And did did I clean all the pots before I started and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, some of the times when I don't feel like cooking the most is when I have not been doing the mise en place or doing the infrastructure. Like, I, maybe the dishes are dirty, right? No, oh, let's get Thai food. Let's order out tonight. So I don't know. Whenever you're trying to figure out how to get better at, at your environment, look beyond just like the the actual work and wonder if I'm not doing the work, is it because I haven't gotten the area and the mise en place set up in a way where I actually could do the work? And then on the other hand, am I focusing so much on the mise en place and setup that there's a reason I'm not doing the work because oh, all right. the setup is actually more interesting to me. Yeah. Changing the background color just slightly, changing the transparency in my window just a little bit. Like that 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 can also be a hang up. 
That's, no, that that right there. The tr- I love that you call it troubleshooting, and and that is something that it seems like you that used to be kind of taken away back in the old days of System Seven and and Eight and even Nine and even maybe the early days of Mac OS Ten, where you couldn't change that much. It just this is how it looked. You could change the position of your window. Oh, you could open up your kaleidoscope. You can- <laughs> you can make a computer steampunk. <laughs> yeah. I would like my I would like all the edges of my windows to have valves for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> but I just I remember that. I remember that. But you know like I, that was one of the things that I remember about these different uh things with windows you could I would spend so much time in Windows 3.11 for work groups uh just coming up with like oh I want just the right background color and you can change the little borders to be like this and you could do this weird like inverse look and save it and then you could you know like like the the amount of time i spent doing that or like defragmenting my hard drive because i i was unmotivated at work <laughs> right. you know right, right. And, and and now it's like i almost hesitate to change too much i try to run stock you know but I, I like to just know that I could just sit down and, and, and do something and not have to, you know, like dot files, like setting up your bash profile and, and setting up your preferences files. And I have, you know, a GitHub repository that I use so that if I sit down in front of a new machine and I have a, a text editor or a programming environment that like I can run these five commands and I can symlink this one folder and I'm done. And like now I have all of the settings that I like on every single computer whether it's the 11 inch MacBook Air, the 13 inch MacBook Pro, or the you know the machine that I use at work, like it's it it just it's all right there, and I don't it, it, that's that's the setup that I can take with me, like a like a traveling chef who's got the knives and you know whatever. It's like the utility belt thing that you can you can just take with you, and yeah, like right. that does take time to set up a GitHub repository with your code stuff in it, and then remember to like do it or or use it in Dropbox or however you're going to do it. Like the setup part of that does take time, but it's not like it takes months. It takes a couple hours one time, and then you have it. Uh, yeah, I totally agree, and I, I I really do agree. And things like being able to sync settings from various kinds of of apps yeah. is is so giant for me. Um, just just so you don't have stuff like clobbering files or anything, or you you know any. But but there's also there's another angle to that though, which is like yeah, you can be John Syracuse and like want to make sure all your windows are always in a certain place and mm-hmm. prefer it that way. But once you go pro, you don't let that stop you from getting something accomplished. There, there's always this little voice in your not a, I don't know if it's a voice exactly, but there's something that's telling you this is the direction we're going. Here's what finished for now looks like, and I need to just keep moving toward that door. Whatever door says finished for now, that's what I'm walking towards. And if something stops me for a second, I can in the moment ev- evaluate how much that helps me get to that door or mm. not. Mm-hmm. But that's that's when I notice whether I'm really working, I'll use the word, efficiently or not. Efficiently for me means that unless something much more important comes along between me and that doorway, I'm going to make to that doorway called finish for now. And no amount of other stuff distracting me like something I'd like to tweak later, fine, write that in a note, but don't let that get in the way. Like you've got to make lunch for your kid. Don't let the need to order a new dining room table stop you from doing that. You've got to stay focused on that target. So how do you get that way? Well, you do it a lot. Once you do it a lot, it becomes clearer to understand what you can ignore for now. And you know, and that could be like a, you know, a comment in code, I guess, right? A fix me or a What's the what's the really bad one like XXX? Yeah, like, you know, but the kinds of things you can put in code that you'll catch later. But it's there's a reason that 
people who are professional writers use words like TK and head and lead. They want to be able to put something in the text that says, uh, you know, the, the Golden Gate Bridge is TK feet long and is printed TK times per year. Like, I know that it's a certain number of feet long, and I know there's a certain amount that it's painted every year, but I don't want to make that stop me from finishing that sentence and writing the next one. Later on, I'll do a search for TK and then go get all those facts and put them in there. But that's a real, that's a real pro move in a lot of ways. Is is being able to look past whether the knives are in the right drawer to get what you want accomplished. Mm-hmm. And because I am, and forgive me, I am making the oldest back to work point in the entire world. Yes, it is about procrastination, but it's about allowing what could be perceived as just noise and potential distraction to become something that you almost put between you and the doorway that calls, that's called done for now. Right. So anyway, I, it's that always that same dumb depressing note, which is like, it's hard to know what's essential until you've done something enough to be able to stay focused and get it done, whatever it is. And, you know, and again, it takes me back to my, my sister-in-law, whom I love, even though she threw away my glasses, not that I'm angry, <laughs> but who, the one who's so great at being able to go in and make food out of whatever's available. It really is magic to watch her work. Like left to her own devices in her own kitchen with her own ingredients and time, she'll make the greatest food in the world, but she can also just make a kick, like a picnic in like 15 minutes out of leftovers. That's like the most amazing thing in the world. Well, like she's making special sauces and stuff, and you're like, you're magic. Like, how do you do that? Like, she's focused on that doorway that says, you know, done for now. This is picnic. This is done. <clears throat> Nailed it. No, not really. Did you have anything else you want to tell me about today? I would like to tell you about our uh, third and final sponsor, lovely, the lovely Linda. L Y N D. Lovely Linda. Video <laughs> made. Nothing can come between us. <laughs> they have 3,000 on demand <laughs> video courses to help you strengthen. All of these skills, business, technology, creative skills, like the stuff that we're talking about, you want to go in and, and learn how to write Ruby code, and then you can be picky about your editor like I am, go to lynda.com slash back to work and go start watching some stuff. You're going to get a, t- a free 10-day trial, and you'll have access to all of their videos, new ones, the brand new ones, ones that aren't as new. They're all there. You get to watch all of them. They come out with new stuff all the time and they're always revising the courses that they have. So if you go in and you're like, oh man, that new version of uh, Logic Pro just came out. I wonder if they, yes, they do. They have the brand new version and they'll teach you what's different and you can just watch the course that they have that's like, here's what's different in Logic Pro, the new version. And if you've never used Logic Pro and you think, you know what, I want to have my game. I want to do this podcasting thing. I want to, I want to go beyond GarageBand. Well, they're going to help you pick tools. How? Because they have these great intro videos on everything. It's all right there. And then you become a pro. You're like, great, I'm an advanced person now. I would like to advance my skills. All the advanced courses are right there. It's amazing stuff. And they've got it on literally every single topic that exists. If it has to do with computers, everything that exists, it's right there. They've got stuff on security. They've got stuff on going paperless. They've got the GTD stuff with David Allen hosting the, 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 the screencast there. It's amazing. So anyway, stop wasting time. Go learn something new. Linda, L-Y-N-D-A, lynda.com slash back to work. Support the show. Get yourself a free 10-day trial. Thanks very much uh, to Linda for making this show possible. Go check them out. Thanks, I, Linda. I insist. Mm. <clears throat> um, I don't think this is posted on Jim's site yet, but this week's episode of the Dalrymple Report, um, the first maybe third of it or so, I think will be very, could be very appealing to people who like this show and and theoretically enjoy this episode. A lot of talk about procrastination, and uh, if you like that kind of uh, Merlin-style talk, uh, that's this week's episode. 
uh, what is it called? I don't think it's up on Jim's site yet, but keep an eye out for that. Don't you have a new program? Oh, the yes. Um, we we were inspired to to talk a little bit about uh, Mr. Robot, and for a long time, I've wanted to do a show that that would talk about TV shows that we really like. And you know, Jason Snell has so much fun doing this with with folks on the Incomparable. And I love listening to those shows. I know he's working on one for Mr. Robot and Humans coming up. I can't wait to listen to that one. But uh, it's something that we've really wanted to do for a while. And I was struggling for a long time with coming up with the right format for it. Do you talk about every episode? No, that doesn't seem like that's too much. And people are binge watching it or sometimes they're watching it, you know, three or four episodes at once. Sometimes they watch the whole weekend. Sometimes they're watching like I've been with Mr. Robot, like you, you know, watching it mostly every week as it comes out. So what I what I uh, I thought of a new format that I want to try, and that is there's one kind of overall show which we're called binge worthy, and then there's a there's a sort of a sub show for each one of them, so that people who are not interested in like Breaking Bad don't they don't get Breaking Bad mixed into their Mr. Robot feed. So this is kind of the complicated process of it, but the end result is we have a different podcast for each. Uh, of these different shows that we'll be talking about. So we'll have a Mr. Robot binge-worthy podcast. We'll have a Breaking Bad binge-worthy podcast. And there'll be two episodes per season. The first one is like a primer, no spoilers at all, but little things that you can, uh, little tips and things that will make uh, your, your enjoyment of watching a little bit better. So it doesn't give anything away. There's absolutely no spoilers in it, but it's things to kind of think about as you're watching the show, things to maybe pay attention to while you're watching the show. And, uh, and hopefully that makes it a lot more fun. And then when the, when the season is done, you go to episode two and we talk about the whole season in depth, break it down. Of course, tons and tons of spoilers because we're, we're talking about the whole season. And, uh, and so it's, it's a, it's a show in two parts. Part one, no spoilers, get ready to watch. Part two, you just watched. Let's talk about it. And, uh, and of course we can't do the second episode until, uh, Thursday after the episode of Mr. Robot, we had wanted to do it last week, but then it, the the show unfortunately was was postponed. So that's mm-hmm. the new new thing. But I'll put a link to that show, Binge Worthy, or you can just search for Binge Worthy in, in iTunes or Overcast or whatever you like, and uh, and listen to our primer episode. Congratulations, that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the the second one. I can't wait for this finale. Mm-hmm. Me too. I'm looking forward to it. And you're you're doing something cool next week. Am I? I think. Oh, yeah, we're doing, uh, yeah, Mr. Robot and Humans. Yep. Next week, oh, though, we'll, aren't you going to Portland? Oh, yeah, right, I'm doing that, too. Um, did you, did you um, look at that picture I sent? Did you see the kaleidoscope? Do you remember what kaleidoscope looked like? I sent oh. you in the, in the, in the robot. Um, oh, hold on, I'm looking. I just sent you a pure link. That's fine. No, I'm so all kaleidoscope was, there was kaleidoscope, there was also the, kaleidoscope, was that the, like so many things back in the day, it, there were the versions that eventually got adopted by Apple. Yeah. But this was a, uh, what would you call this? A, a way to skin your finder? Yeah. I remember that. Not just, not just the way. Look at that dragon. That, your icons. Oh my God. I'm going to put, I got to put this in show notes. Uh, yeah. But like you could make your Mac circa what, 97, 98 maybe? Probably. You could make your Mac really, really unpleasant. This is super ugly. I remember these. I remember the steampunky look. Yeah, I remember that one. all the edges would like, oh my God, look at the, look at the scroll bars. <laughs> There's one that looks like X window motif on there. 
Right. And you could get one that looks like BOS. Yeah. Like you could, you know, you could fake all these different looks, but oh my God, they all look incredibly dated. Can you imagine a big dragon like that on the corner of every <laughs> finder window? How weird would that be? Can you imagine John Syracuse lining up his dragons? <laughs> Greetings, sir. You could line up in, in I remember in FVWM2. You're what, what, on, that, what, that, what that mean? That was a window man. might still be around. And a window manager that was very popular on Linux. Okay. And you could position your windows in such a way that you could get, you could align them by pixel. So you could actually say, I want these four, when I, when I start uh, X windows, I'm sorry, the X window system, mm. when I start that, like a, like a twice in blocks, right? It will put these four terminal windows on desktop number two in these exact positions every time. So even if I go crazy and move them around a little bit, I could just quit and restart and it would, it, they're all back right where they, they should be right where they used to be. And I remember Mac on Mac, everything felt free form to me. I could put stuff, you know, wherever I wanted to put it. You know, it was just like oh, yeah, this stuff wasn't always like locking itself in. Right, it wasn't all the snap into everything. You could you could make it however you wanted. Yeah, and I feel like that. I always liked that. That was mm-hmm. always kind of a cool, a cool fun thing to to do. You didn't have to worry so much about it. You didn't have to worry about losing Windows and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And on, I had a very, again a very different attitude on Windows at work when I was doing Microsoft access development that, you know, everything had to be a a very certain way and you could maximize the window and everything else. It was very different feeling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't miss those days of OS or, you know, system seven, eight, nine, you know, seven, eight, nine, it had its charms, but boy, it really looks old now. It's so strange. But, you know, I just felt like you were kind of, I felt encouraged to tweak almost everything all the time. And now hmm. I, I feel disinclined from tweaking anything. Yeah. I just want to just, just run, just be consistent. No, I do too. And I don't, I don't know when that changed for me. I would rather, if there's any, the, the more I can do to make the, op, the operating system and everything kind of get out of the way and not, I don't care how it looks. My background, my desktop background wallpaper is just a, a gray color. It's black. Yeah. I just want it out of the, out of there. Get it out of there. Yeah, totally agree. I don't even want a desktop. I don't have anything on the desktop if I can help it. Delete it. Everything is everything says library. Delete that. You don't need it. Right. Don't do that. Yeah. Just kidding. Please don't do that. No. Um, anything else for uh, for this week? I think that's. I think we covered most of it. Yeah. Yeah. Was good. Anything, you got anything else? Anything else you want to promote? No. What about you? No. I just stop paying attention to me, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess we're gonna button this up. All right. Okay, I love you. Love you too, Merlin Man. <laughs>